Hey everybody, welcome to episode 18 of the Gogan Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. That's right, this is episode 18. The podcast is officially grown up. On today's show, we'll be talking to my buddy Steve Searin. He's a badass photographer, all-around outdoors dude, and a daddy. He and I got together at Man Biomedical Park over in Valencia on that same windy day from episode 15 when I interviewed Katie Cannell. So be prepared for lots of wind and microphones falling over. Overall, I think it should still sound pretty good. So let's go listen to Steve Searin talk about photography, backpacking, getting your family outside, canyoneering, and the lewd way he and I met a year or two ago. Hi everyone, this is Steve Serend. I'm into outdoor photography. Uh, I also like tons of outdoor recreation, all different kinds of stuff. I like trying new stuff that I've never done before. I've been living in Southern California my whole life. I'm always surprised at the things I find out here. I bought a kayak the other day, took that out to uh, the Colorado River, tried jet skiing for the first or Sea doing for the first time ever. Is there a difference? I mean, they're the same thing, right? Kayaking and sea doing. No, oh. sea doing and jet skiing. Oh, I think the difference is who made the device that you're. I you're thought on. maybe a jet ski you stand up on. <laughs> oh, maybe there is a difference. There. Or maybe that's the weird one that goes by shooting water up in the air. So, do you sit down on a sea do? Yeah, you definitely sit. Wait, down. We sound like a couple of idiots, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so I think a sea do you sit on and a jet ski you stand on. And if we're wrong, I'm sure people can tell us. So basically, you just want to do anything that gets you out of your house, more or less. Yeah, pretty much. From what I've seen, because you post pictures all the time, it seems like you are never in your house, man. <laughs> you are always well, some I'm, random Well, I'm actually place. in the house when I have to edit photos, so I'm in there, I, I would say, half the time. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the same here, too. People see, like, Facebook posts from climbing or something, like, do you ever work? For me, I feel like that's all I ever do is work. Well, I don't post pictures of me working. I don't post pictures of me at a computer. Yeah, I guess it could be hard to tell because cell phones, sometimes they take pics that look just like a DSLR and that, you know, you can upload from wherever you are almost depending if you have service or not. So you make a living as a photographer, right? You're primarily yes. architectural photographer, right? Yeah, architectural photography. And what and, does that uh, mean? I'm photographing lots of real estate and then some commercial stuff for designers, interior designers, stuff like that. Mostly those two things. And that that's your bread and butter, right? That's that's how you yeah, make your money? Yeah, that's my bread and butter right now at the moment. Do you also you teach courses sometimes um, too, I was you? teaching more but then I had a kid got married and the amount of time I needed to be at home kind of changed and I guess I started doing lots of architectural photography so you can make a lot of money quicker than the uh outdoor stuff probably gonna have another kid working on that so are you <laughs> I guess they so have you're to get... actively working on a child not yeah. at this exact moment but <laughs> yeah no. in the privacy of your home me and my wife. Well, it's good to hear it's with your <laughs> wife. <laughs> but you do also do a crap ton of outdoor photography as a hobby, or are you selling some of those or doing those for clients as well? I sell stuff, and I get licensing requests and stuff like that, you know, stock photography, that kind of stuff. I sell, you know, the fine art prints over the Internet 
done stuff in galleries and stuff like that, and I get the occasional, like, you know, visitor center, you know, for the National Park Service or stuff like that where I do small projects for them. Do you ever sell any of your photos to clients who have hired you to photograph their home? And then you say, hey, look, I also have some awesome photos you might want to put on your walls. I don't really do that as much as I should. <laughs> it seems like a way to make a little extra money on the side. I'm just saying. Yeah. You, you may want to consider that in the future. That's definitely a good idea. So how'd you get into photography? That's sort of a tough question. Um, I've always been interested in it and always done it on and off as, you know, a kid. I guess my parents moved away once I graduated high school. They moved up to, like, the Reno-Tahoe area. I guess I flew, you know, up and over the Sierra from San Jose to the Reno airport. Kind of fly right over the Sierra Nevada, and you see all those snow-covered mountains, just endless wilderness up there. So this is my first time flying, so I was pretty amazed. At when when that. would that have been? I guess shortly after I graduated high school, uh, maybe, like, when I was 20. So I guess, wow, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> I guess I took another trip up there and drove the same thing. It's just the scenery up there. It's amazing. It just kind of hooked me with the outdoor photography. Do you have any photographic training? Or are you self-taught? Self-taught. Read a lot of books and wasted a lot of time. And, and probably a lot of film in a the lot early of days. Film, yeah. And I would say film, it was harder to learn. You know, you didn't get that instant feedback. After a couple of years of film, slowly get better. And uh, I mean, I, I was young, so I, I didn't really have that much money and I couldn't afford all the uh, printing costs. And you can get in the habit of just buying all kinds of junk. Some of it you do need, but a lot of it you don't really need. So I guess once I switched to digital, I was within you know less than a year, I was getting published in magazines and stuff like that. The uh, digital was definitely like an accelerated learning process. In everything, in video and in photography. I think it's made a drastic difference because exactly why you said instant feedback and almost limitless opportunities to refine. Oh, I don't like this one, so let me delete it and yeah. take another one, try different settings until you get it right. You don't have to go through four rolls of film to find out which one worked. It's amazing how how just everything changed <laughs> that way. So how many cameras do you own right now? Oh, I have no idea. I would say less than 10. <laughs> oh, well, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. How many of them do you use regularly? Maybe about three of them. You take a lot of kind of secluded backcountry photos, or you at least are very good at making them look like they are. So how much gear are you carrying when you go out there to take these photos? It really varies. If I'm by myself, I would usually say mostly the bare minimum, unless I'm, you know, with some group of friends and I know they're going to be traveling slow, then... I'll definitely load up on extra things that I don't really need out there just for comfort. But for a camera gear, do you tend to carry just like a one camera body and a few lenses? Oh yeah, or? really just one camera body. I've got three lenses that I regularly use, but I mean, let's just say I'm going to go do like some summit in the Sierra. I will narrow it down to just one lens, one super light tripod. I can get the gear down to like less than six pounds. You do this pretty frequently, right? I mean, do you go out a few times a month by yourself, backpack through some areas, get some photos, or you allow your pictures off the side of the road and you're just really good at framing and making them look like they're more secluded than they are? Uh, I would say it's a mixture. I'm definitely able to shoot stuff off the side of the road and, you know, I guess if you're in a place that nobody's really interested in and you are at the side of the road, you're, no one's going to know where you are because 
it's not like a familiar scene to people. Backpacking, not as much now since I had the kid and uh, I'm gonna get him into backpacking. I got him a backpack and I'll be taking him before he turns two. I'm trying to get the family more involved in it. Yeah, how old is he? Is he two? He'll be two in July, so he's getting close to two. I've seen lots of photos where you've got him in a backpack or... I love to drag him outside now. He's getting kind of big. He wants to be on, on his own walking around out there, so I can't take him on long trips because he doesn't want to stay in the backpack. I would take him over and up and over this trail over here at Townsley. It's a like a five-mile loop. It takes like an hour to run it. If I got him in the backpack, it'll take me like two hours to get up and over it but uh i let him out at the top and he enjoys it i have another friend who has children she was actually in the hiking video that i put together her plan is start them young she brings her daughter out in diapers changes her on the trail and everything her thought is you get them there before they know better yeah <laughs> and they'll probably like it before they've decided they don't like it and you have to change their mind our mutual friend scott he has two yeah. daughters and he's fighting with that right now because the oldest one is old enough to maybe think she doesn't like it, whereas the youngest one isn't old enough to feel that way and so she loves it. And so yeah, maybe starting them now is gonna work out pretty well for you. How's the wife like it? It's interesting, she was going outside with me a lot and then I just started going constantly every minute that I got and I think that kinda like threw her off a little bit and then she had the kid, Carter is his name and- It's good to know you remember your son's name. <laughs> I don't know, she took that as kind of like, I want to keep him indoors and keep him safe from crazy daddy. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't blame her for that. But, uh, you know, he gets outside enough to where he's enjoying it. I guess we're going to have a little birthday party for him. And it's going to be a camping trip in the backyard with his, with my other friends that uh, don't get outdoors much. And they're going to have their kids in the backyard. Should be interesting. This is going to be one of those pop-up tents in the backyard, make hot dogs and <laughs> yeah, s'mores yeah. and roast marshmallows exactly. and all that. Yeah, that's exactly what we're so, doing. So get him around fire as soon as possible is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that works out. How did you get into backpacking then? I got into backpacking because I just saw wilderness photos that you know other people took, like Ansel Adams and Galen Rowell and stuff like that. David Munch, a couple of others that are very well known for that kind of stuff. Never had done it before and figured, well, I got to go spend the night out in the wilderness. I figured I'd go by myself, of course, because, you know, wait for other people to go is not the best option or you end up, you could end up waiting forever and never go. So. Right, so everyone knows the best scenario is, I don't know how to do this. Let me go by myself <laughs> and figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually did that, went by myself. I did like a two-night trip up in the Ansel Adams Wilderness above Mammoth Lakes. Countered snow, didn't really know how to proceed down a steep, icy slope. And it wasn't as bad as, you know, I thought it would be. And, when when uh, would this have been in your life? Oh, it's maybe like 15 years ago, something right, like so that. so mid-20s? Yeah. Early to mid-20s? Yeah, and it wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, I'd... I did end up seeing a bear, which I figured, oh my god, what if I see a bear at night? <laughs> what am I going to do? Didn't bother me, and I didn't bother it. And yeah, the good thing about bears in this area is they're, they're, they're not black grizzlies. bears, so they're not so worrisome. <laughs> yeah, they're not grizzlies or polar bears. So yeah, as long as you put your uh, food in a bear canister and do what the rangers tell you to do with it, that's what keeps them from getting your food. And Did you have a canister at that time? Yeah, I had a canister. Okay, so you at least knew about that at that point. Yeah, which really sucked because it adds you know quite a bit of weight yeah to and pack. they're huge and bulky 
Yeah. I bought a, a much nicer one that I use now. Which <laughs> one are you using now? It's the smaller, clear plastic one. I think it's uh, Garcia is the one that makes it. Oh, I'm not sure. I think I have the Bear Volt. It's clear, yeah, but it's it huge. I feel like it's, it's yeah, multiple tabs. It looks like it's got a 45 record on the yeah, top. Yeah, there's two versions of that. A small, a big one, like the big black ones that you can rent, and then there's a smaller one. So I have that one, and I actually know how to pack, you know, different kind of food rather than like the whole mountain house, just pour water in there. And I mean, that is so easy and convenient, but. <laughs> yeah, what kind of food do you like to bring? Because there's a wide variety of what people like to eat. I have a dehydrator now so I can dehydrate my own meat. And I look for anything that you can cook in three to five minutes. It's like a noodle or a grain or anything like that. And then I'll just bring some cheese or Parmesan cheese, whatever. Any Anything that has crap load of calories in it. Because you definitely want a lot of calories if you're carrying a heavy pack. And the longer the distance, the more you want to take. All those dehydrated meals, like the the store bolt dehydrated meals, when you're really tired and you've really had a long day, they're they're pretty good. But man, you get sick of those things. Yeah, and they're uh, you know they take a toll on your stomach. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. It's, it's, def- they definitely make you more fluid than solid. Yeah, I will say it's interesting. It's just like eating McDonald's. <laughs> What I've discovered recently, maybe maybe you've come across these, the Bombay potatoes. No, I haven't. I'm seen a those. big fan of the Bombay potatoes, man. They're uh, they're called Tasty Bites, I... and they're a little bag, and you boil the bag for like five minutes, and uh, it's not dehydrated. It's just vacuum sealed or something. It's okay. it's like Indian style potatoes with all kinds of spices. Good, and they make a lentil one too, man. So Tasty Bites, check those out. Tasty Bites. Yeah, that's that's my tip for the day. Tasty Bites. So you're also in the canyoneering, right? Oh yeah. That's how I know you. That's we met in that funny little situation, the day that your pants were ripped open and your oh your junk was hanging out all day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tear your pants on the way to the trail. Yeah, it's... wear two pairs of underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say that that's the day I met you, and I knew that I'd get along with you because, despite the fact that your testicles were hanging out most of the day, you were totally cool about it. You didn't get embarrassed. You're just like, yeah, this, this is what's happening. We're just gonna we're just gonna deal with it. Yeah, I, I believe you handed me some neon, neon orange construction <laughs> yeah. orange duct tape to uh, wrap my balls in. <laughs> well, you know, whatever I could do to help draw attention to them. So, how did you get into canyoneering? How did I get into canyoneering? Oh, I you know, I took a trip to Death Valley and I looked up some canyon. You know, I had nothing, no idea anything about canyoneering. I maybe went, you know, top rope climbing a dozen times in my life before that. And uh, I just went into a canyon. There's a rope there. I kind of went up that rope up some dry, slick, you know, really slick waterfall, which was way slipperier than I thought. But I just kind of climbed up that rope uh, maybe like 25 feet or so. I got up there and I just took a picture of myself and I posted it on the internet. A guy named David Angel saw it. Did I you know him prior to that? I actually did know him prior okay. to that because I did a backpacking trip with him once up in the Sierra before. So he saw it and he kind of said, hey, I didn't know you'd do canyoneering or go canyoneering. And I was like... <laughs> you said, what is that? <laughs> well, I knew what it was, but I was like, yeah, I want to go. <laughs> So then I went and that was kind of it. I did uh, Eaton Canyon and I, I took a GoPro in there with me just so I, you know, have something to prove I went canyoneering and I lost the GoPro in one of the pools. I have also lost a GoPro in Eaton Canyon <laughs> in one of the pools. So we, we are uh, GoPro Eaton Canyon buddies. I went with 
one of his friends named Dominic Nadalski. He just kind of took me on a on a trip at three o'clock after work, something like that. We ended up starting late, like at three thirty, and so you were totally green at this point. I was Did totally you even know green. how to repel or anything? I um, I had an ATS. I forgot it in the car. I you had, had an ATS or an ATC. I had an ATS that was brand new. Okay, and I left it in the car, but I did have an ATC on my harness just these are different types of belay slash repel devices if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about. yeah this is like a, a tube basic tube device that you kind of stop and it's much harder to lock off if you're you know stop yourself from going down the rope yeah it's not bad for repelling off of climbs it's not ideal for repelling through water halfway through the canyon it was already dark once we hit the first waterfalls or the bigger waterfalls towards the end so and, and eaten yeah, and so it took you guys that long to go through the canyon? Well, it's three thirty in the afternoon. Oh, because you started late, right? Yeah, so so I go down and uh, <laughs> there's a knot in the rope in the waterfall. <laughs> you know, all I know is you just pull that that rope down, you know, down towards your hip, and that's what stops you. That's all I pretty much know about it. Pull that thing down, and I pull up the rope with like the left hand and like use my teeth and untie the knot. And before that, I was yelling. It up at him and blowing a whistle, you know, that's kind of what you do if you're, you need some kind of help or something. And the guy couldn't hear me because the water was too loud. So, and it was dark. So, uh, I didn't have a waterproof headlamp either. I ended up getting a knot out and everything went fine. And we made it through the canyon in like six hours. So not bad at all, but I did, you know, I did lose the GoPro. So I called David Angel the next day and said, Hey, can we do eating as soon as possible? So I can go find that thing and Did you ever find it? Yeah, we I lost it on a Wednesday and I went back and found it on Saturday. So I went and did that canyon over again. Oh, that's pretty good luck. The one I lost, I'll be surprised if it ever surfaces again. It, <laughs> I for some reason told my buddy to throw it down to me and then he did. It hit the water and just sank. And it was it was one of the deeper pools. And we tried diving down and get it. it was freezing cold. <laughs> we oh, gave yeah. up after about 20 minutes. So that's how you got into it, huh? Yeah, that's how I got into it. E- Eaton Canyon's a really good, great introduction. Especially if you don't try to drown yourself. Yeah. On repel. <laughs> so what do you have planned for the rest of the year? Next weekend, I'm gonna go kayaking Colorado River with the wife. Flat water or white water or? No, just like a basic class two, just kind of more of a float down river. Either Black Canyon or El Dorado Canyon. We've already done Black, so we might just do El Dorado, and that's south of the Hoover Dam there. It's a good, popular place for people to check out kayaking or canoeing if they've never done it before. Is that going to be your new thing now? We're going to see a lot of kayak pictures? No, no. My wife actually just, it was her idea to do this. We're going to Vegas. Her parents have a timeshare that they let us borrow, so it's just good to get out you know, wherever you go. What's an average work week look like for you? Because I know you you do a lot of the architectural photography, but then it also seems like you try to balance it out with the outdoor photography. I've got a lot of clients that I deal with with the architectural photography. So during the week, I'm pretty busy doing that, kind of working overtime with that a lot. And I guess for my sanity, I you know, I go into my hard drives and I just kind of skim through something that catches my interest and when I edit that and, you know, some outdoor nature pick, and that's kind of what keeps me uh, feeling like I'm outside when I'm not. Yeah, that's kind of what happens. And just right now, it's just kind of a hectic week for me always because I'm, I'm very busy. Well, and you've got a toddler too now. Yeah, I got the toddler. I got to, you know, hang out with him as much as I can. But during the week, it's 
not that much. So you work out of the house a lot whenever you're not on a shoot, right? Yeah. So yeah, does that I'm mean editing? Are you watching the kid while you work at home, or do you? Uh, to... you know, I can't really, but I mean, just like if I wake up and he wakes up and my wife doesn't get up to watch him or something, or if he just wakes up early and then he'll come over to me and I'll just kind of plop him on my lap. But sometimes he doesn't want to sit there. Other times he does. Yeah, because I think people think, oh, if you work from home, you don't need a babysitter. You can just watch the kid while you work. Yeah, so, no, it's you very can't difficult. Work. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes he'll he'll watch something on YouTube for, you know, he'll jump on my lap and say, song, song. And then I'll find something on YouTube for him or something to watch. And then you come back later and he's surfed yeah. through the associated videos. A friend of mine, when his kid was about the same age as yours, he'd let him watch YouTube sometimes and walk away. And he said he came back one time and he had just kept clicking through like a, yeah, like related videos. And when he came back, his son was watching videos of just like big-breasted women uh, jumping up and down. Holding Coke cans in between their boots. <laughs> so you may, you may need to keep an eye on, uh, on what, what he clicks through to. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's only two now. In a few more years, you'll be able to start taking him cooler places. He'll be able to walk, maybe even carry something. You have any plans, places you'd like to take him when he gets a little older? Well, I, I am going to take him backpacking to the Sierra. There's one one spot that that um, it's relatively short to where if he decides he doesn't want to uh, walk, and then I can just pick him up. But uh, I got him a little backpack, so I'm definitely going to throw some some gear in there for him to carry, just so he feels like he's backpacking too. So like a pillow, he's going to carry a pillow yeah, and maybe a fluffy sweater, I guess. <laughs> Very light stuff. So do you have a website or anything? If anybody wanted to look at your photos or if anybody was interested in possibly buying some pretty cool outdoor pictures? Yeah, I do. I've got a couple of websites. I got one that's called easternsierrafoto.com and that's tons of pictures of uh, the east side of the Sierra Nevada here in California. Lots of wilderness stuff, lots of stuff that you can kind of drive up to see. Some stuff's uh, remote, some stuff's iconic. Lots of that, and then I, I got another website called Mojave Desert Photo. It's a bunch of pictures of the local desert just north of Los Angeles. Tons of remote things out there that people probably haven't seen before, and even stuff you know that landscape photographers would be into. There's lots of stuff on there that they probably haven't seen before, little pockets of wilderness out there that people would be interested in seeing and stuff like that that you know make for good photography out there and do you think you're going to offer any more courses in the future or do you think that's maybe no yeah i definitely being? will i kind of want to have just you know the other kid and get them both going but uh I, i'll probably start in death valley and zion again how would people find out about those courses they could just go to the website mojavedesertphoto.com and there's a, a workshop tab on there that has info on it. Have you done a lot of those workshops? I've done quite a few. How's that experience? Because I'm sure you meet a lot of new people. You get to watch them develop as photographers. Pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I, I lived in Thousand Oaks, which is 10 miles from the beach. There's a couple of little pocket beaches that you can get really good photos. And people really love this one spot out there in Malibu that just has these sea stacks. And they go out and, you know, you know a lot of students would, are brand new to photography and they kind of have no idea so I just kind of help them out point them in the right direction show them how to compose and you can shoot in better light than 
you know, just regular old midday light. But yeah, and then, you know, I'm friends with them afterwards, and I get to see how they progress and uh, change, and some of them start teaching their own workshops, too, so it is really cool to see that. You know, mentioning light, that's a good point. It's one of the things a lot of people don't necessarily understand about photography, is photography is specifically about capturing light at certain times, certain angles. It's about the way that light shapes objects. So... When you're going out places to take these photos, these nature photos, you, you have no control over that light. What do you do? Are you spending days at a time in one location waiting to, for the right light to get the right photo? I can't really do the whole waiting for days thing just because I don't want to be in one place for, you know, so long. I'll go to a place that's really it's got, you know, lots of potential and stuff. You know, if I don't get the light I want, I, I have to come back. Or sometimes I maybe I'll stay there, but uh, most of the time I just have to come back at a later time and just keep, you know, hoping I get some good light or, you know, some good nice clouds and stuff like that or any kind of dramatic weather that doesn't happen all the time. When you know you're going out to a particular location, do you plan ahead of time? Do you think like, okay, sun position's probably this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to camp out on top of uh, Mono Jim Walker Peak next month near the, the summer solstice. Now that's one point where I've got this mountain peak called Mount Morrison that it's about two 2,000 foot rock face. From that peak on the winter solstice, I mean summer solstice, you can get light on the peak at sunset. So I, I can get you know good light there on sunset and at sunrise as well. And that's the only time of year you can do that. So it should be something a little different and uh, I've got to sleep on top of a mountain ridge for that hopefully it doesn't snow that night and hopefully i don't get really bad conditions because then i'll have to wait till i come back you know next year or something like that do you find that there's a particular time of day just on average that's probably a better choice like if, if you if you could only go out say for four hours to get a picture of somewhere and you weren't familiar with the area would you choose morning late evening middle of the day let's just say it's just your basic hillside so you're going to want to do sunset or sunrise and you want to be there before sunset because you get that golden light you know an hour before and uh, that's really the magic light they call that the magic hour it also happens at sunrise just right after sunrise but there's also twilight those are the really amazing times of day where just stuff really changes and it looks dramatic and it only lasts for minutes so i guess depending on which way that slope is facing that you're on you'll you can look at like Google Earth and it'll simulate how the light hits your mountain slope or wherever, which way you're pointing the camera or wanting to point the camera. You can use that for big scenes and that'll help you point the camera into interesting light. It's a great tool, Google Earth. Is that how you find out about a lot of sun positioning and things like that? Or do you use yeah, some of these for, apps that are out now? I don't, I'm not that high tech with all the apps and stuff. I, I use Google Earth on the, the desktop at home. So it's usually just for, you know, big stuff. If I'm going somewhere and it's just random, I don't really use Google Earth at all. I just go and hope I find something good and that last minute of light or first minute of light that pops out there that's that's the best light for a subject so this is not related to that but speaking of technology made me think about this so you have a kid at home you've got a wife at home and you like to spend a lot of time by yourself out in nature sometimes for multiple days and they probably want to be sure that you're all right do you carry any kind of communication device 
Any kind of personal locator beacon or anything like that? Yeah, I have, I've got a spot. I don't use the spot anymore. I have something called a Delorme in reach and it's basically just a little satellite communicator. It, pair, it can pair up with the phone. I can set breadcrumbs that kind of say where I am and what time it was and I can set it to do it at intervals and so if they want to access where I am I they can do that but but I don't really use it I, I kind of just leave it in the backpack as an SOS it the battery life on it's very long it's better left on though it'll work faster when you need it if you leave it on but the battery lasts a long time if it's off and that one also has GPS, right? It has yeah. some GPS maps included. And yeah, you can, you can text people too, right? Yeah, you can send. It works better with an email address, but you can, yeah, you can text, send messages, any, any, actually any message you want in text format. But the spot could not do that, right? The spot, if I remember correctly, could only say, yeah, I you need like, help or I'm okay. Yeah, right? you can set something, but it has to be beforehand. So it's, you know, it's going to be your generic thing that you're gonna send out okay so you could pre-compose a message yeah beforehand but i mean if something yeah. bad happens you, you you're gonna want to give this story like i'm with who are the people and it's someone else's hurt not me so that that's you know really important and within reach you can do that yeah because if you have family and you know you pull that thing your family's gonna get contacted but what if you are doing it for somebody else you know <laughs> your family's gonna kill you when you get home <laughs> right most of the time you would not have cell service right in yeah. these places and that's yeah. why you would need that all of these things the spot the in reach all of them they all have a monthly subscription rate right yeah yeah you can vary it to however much it is but it comes down as low as like twelve dollars a month which uh which plan are you on right now i'm on the twelve dollars a month and what does that give you oh i don't know exactly but for the amount that i'm outside it's well enough i don't use it heavily so that plan is good enough have you been in a situation where anyone's had to use a locator beacon or call for rescue or anything before yes i have <laughs> when was that um we didn't have one though <laughs> oh of course not that's why you have one now right uh yeah that is part of the reason that was on a canyoneering trip uh, in the san gabriel mountains oh local yeah local which uh canyon was this it was stoddard canyon was yeah. it actually an emergency situation or it was no it wasn't an emergency situation so we were just late coming back uh i think another one you're talking about this is the one with all yeah this one's actually this a was, famous one a couple years ago right yeah this one's kind of a well-known trip there was actually well someone just said hey they told their wife i'll be back at two o'clock and we started at like eight or nine <laughs> and that was a canyon that no one had done before so nobody had any you know trip info besides the 20 year old beta from brennan so there was just so much thorn bush and like blackberry bushes whatever it was vines and stuff in the whole canyon so so just a lot of bushwhacking it's, yeah it, was it a slows nest. you down immensely so yeah, yeah I, I know the case you're talking about so so this isn't a situation where someone actually needed to be rescued this is a situation where someone not inside the canyon with you guys got worried and contacted search and rescue so yeah. i think the important takeaway from this is give a realistic window to your people at home for when you expect to be back because yeah two o'clock even for something you have done before is is probably unrealistic yeah it was very unrealistic but we weren't out of that canyon until about i, I want to say you know 10 p.m 11 maybe somewhere around there yeah i remember that night because facebook blew up a little bit where people were trying <laughs> to figure out where you guys were and and yeah they ended up calling search and rescue right yeah and they, a helicopter came out yeah they something. sent out a helicopter it was amazing how the helicopter actually didn't seem like it could find us Unless we pointed our headlamps like up 
towards it. But uh, yeah, it was. They found us, and then they sent a, a party on the ground to meet us at the mouth of the canyon. So they actually they hiked like half a mile in before they you know met us, and we had we had one person that was a little older, and they were just you know kind of tired and moving slow. So, you know, that kind of was another thing that, you know, was on top of all the bushwhacking that slowed us down. But, I mean, she kept going. She did not, I mean, she did give up, sort of, but it was more of it like a joke. She kind of sat down on the ground and said, uh, you know, I've had a good life. Just leave me here. <laughs> but, you know, we, we weren't going to leave her there. We took some of her stuff and we just kept her moving. And there was one point, though, where she did say my, my tongue is numb. And <laughs> Oh, was it because it was cold? Or? I think she might have accidentally like grabbed some stinging nettle and oh. maybe popped a glove in her mouth or a finger in her mouth or something. <laughs> so you guys did have to swim across some pools, right? Yeah, the, actually the at the cold. very end, this was in, in wintertime here in SoCal, and at the very end of the, the trip, there's a, you know, in the last mile, there's two big waterfalls and there's no no water in the canyon at all. And then you get to this point and there's two pools that you have to swim across so you know and they're freezing cold and we have no idea what it's like so Alden sends me down first and I'm the one that gets to experience that and so we all know that there's you know a pool down there that we got to swim across and then the same thing happens at the next one it's some freezing cold pool that we have to swim across I mean that was the only thing I was worried about is people getting hypothermia if they didn't have the right clothes on right which is why you should always carry rain gear and yeah. and fleeces and things like that even if you don't think you need, and a headlamp yeah I had a one of those uh I don't know one of those weird puff jackets that's insulates when wet i don't know what it's called micro puff oh nano puff uh micro puff from north face it's it's uh, okay. like similar to the nano puff, yeah it's a little balls of something like i don't know what it is some kind of synthetic material that stays warm and insulates yeah i think i know what you're talking about it's similar to fleece material i'm sure some sort of plastic if uh if you had had that device with you would people have been able to communicate with you or can you only send out data like, could someone have contacted you and say, hey, are you guys okay? Should we call search and rescue and avoid that situation entirely? Here's the thing. with If I had the spot device on me, I wouldn't be able to send anything to the spouse of the guy that was with us that, that had called search and rescue. Right. So it would have happened anyways, unless somebody got a hold of her on Facebook or something. My wife doesn't really use Facebook, so I would have contacted her and just said, hey, I'm okay, just running late extreme amounts of bushwhacking and that would have been it and uh but could your wife communicate with you like if you're out somewhere can she send you a message no. to the device that device i don't believe gets messages back you just send them out and that's okay. it i don't know that anyone offers that yet right oh the delorme actually she can reply oh so she can reply to that but one. um in the canyon it's definitely the service is spottier. Right, because cause the canyon walls can interfere, right? You still need to get a clear image of the sky for the yeah. satellite passing. Yeah, that canyon had some opening spots, so we definitely would have been able to get messages out easily. Anything else you want to throw in there? Any website you forgot to mention? Any, no. any photos you want people to go look at? Yeah, check out. There is a one photo that you really got to check out. It's on the Mojave Desert photo site, mojavedesert.com. It's just a nice cool looking rattlesnake curled up ready to strike and it's in a bed of uh california poppies this is a photo you got yeah this is a photo i took a few years back out in the lancaster area how, how close to this rattlesnake is this photo i would say you know 
about 10 feet or so, something like okay. that. Maybe a little closer than that. Close enough to make you uncomfortable? Yeah, the photo looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> it looks extremely close. All right, so go check out that rattlesnake picture. All right, so that's it, dude. That's all, all right. there was to it. Now you can get your ADD ass back in motion. <laughs> <laughs>